The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You chose to take a journey down a long and dangerous trail Chose to serve your country and we know you served us well but now you're back and it's our duty to keep you safe and warm. Shake your hand and welcome you back home with open arms. We're America, your family, the land of liberty. We're thankful for your sacrifice, your fight to keep us free. We are America and we truly do you're the backbone of our nation, thanks to you we're living free. We're a quilt of many colors, and we breathe red, white, and blue. We're America, your country, and America wants you. It has been said that we are but one generation away from forgetting our history. Welcome to American Heroes Network, where we serve our American tradition. With Gary Ray, along with his co-host, Linda Crater, and other prestigious co-hosts. In our program, you will hear firsthand the personal accounts of heroes whose unselfish actions have contributed to the traditions and values that represent the soul of America. You'll also hear from our partners and affiliations presenting news events and ways that our veterans and their families can rebuild their lives. Now, here is Gary Ray with his co-host, Linda Crater, and other prestigious co-hosts. Good morning and welcome to the American Heroes Network. Today is November 5th, 2013. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host Linda Crater, President and CEO for VeteranCaregiver.com. Good morning, Linda. How are you? Good morning, Gary. I'm doing great today. Thank you very much. (laughs) Good, good. We have a really good show for you today, actually titled Moral Injury and the Path to Recovery for U.S. Combat Vets. But before we get to our guests, we're going to take just a couple of minutes to tell you about the live Veteran Truck Update. Today's update is brought to you by First Class Merchant Services and Brave Marketing Concepts. Be sure to click on their logo on our sponsor page and see how they're supporting our veterans. Veteran Trek is about two veterans, Anthony and Tom, that are walking a mere 2,700 miles from Milwaukee to L.A. for PTSD and veteran suicide awareness and, of course, awareness for Dry Hooch America. Good morning, Anthony. How are you? I'm doing well, Gary. How are you? Good, good. Now, um, how's your leg doing? Uh, it's still hurting. Um, I went in and got checked out at the VA in Grand Island and uh, Grand Island, Nebraska, and had a pretty good experience there. They were really uh, accommodating, helped me out, gave me some stuff that I'll need to hopefully finish the trip off successfully, but it's hurting today. Wow. So they knew that you were the one on a walk, right? Uh, no, they had no, they had no idea. I had to go in there and, uh, basically go from scratch, you know, like prove eligibility, 
um, get an appointment, you know, go through everything. But they asked me what I was doing in Nebraska, and I told them, you know, I'm walking from Milwaukee to L.A., and this is what I'm doing it for. And they all seemed to be impressed by that. So it worked wow. to my favor, I guess. <laughs> Any other incidents? Um, no, we've in uh, Grand Island, we had a really, really outstanding family. It was actually friends of someone that we had met while we were camping in Lincoln. Um, they reached out to their friends in Grand Island, and they wanted to take us out for dinner and said, if you guys need a place to stay at any point, let us know. Well, then when I couldn't walk for two days, um, they let us stay at their home, which was fantastic. Yes. Had three meals a day, um, ice packs, everything we could think of. And I probably, I slept in the bed the first night and I probably hadn't slept that good in 10 years. <laughs> All right. How's the equipment holding out? Uh, pretty good so far, but it's starting to get pretty chilly. So we're going to need um, more cold weather gear. Well, yeah. But well, otherwise, everything start... seems to be going well. Oh, that's good. That's good. At least we'll be starting to warm it up uh, in about two months huh <laughs> <laughs> well i think i think when we get to uh, the mojave desert it'll be warm enough wow all right let's uh wish anthony and tom good luck i want to thank you other uh, anthony to say hi to tom for us and again all right again you can support them right now by donating right from your cell phone just text the word donate to 80464, and 100% of that donation goes right to dryhooch.org. We'll be providing that live update on their adventures every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern on the AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. We have quite a show for you today. Linda, why don't you go ahead and introduce our guests? I am really enthused about our guests today. We have a young Marine, Lou Labello, who is joining us and is going to be telling his story and we also have a repeat visitor on our show, Dr. Craig Bryan, who is at the University of Utah doing veteran studies and research. And these two men are, have similar experiences in terms of what they are studying, what they have discovered about themselves, and what they're researching to try and find a better way out from moving from combat into the community. And I'd love to start, if we could, with Lou, could you please tell your story? And then you and Craig can talk through some of the very major issues that we talked about in terms of moral injury and some of the exposure that you have had talking about this with others. Well, I'd love to, Linda. I think that uh, due to the fact that we're only online for the next hour, I'll have to highly condense the story. And so... It takes place beginning April 8th, 2003. Like so many other Marines, we were sent out on a combat foot patrol in Baghdad where we came upon heavy resistance. We got ambushed. Thirteen of our guys got wounded. One was shot in the head. And we started returning fire. And at that point, we kept everyone away from us. In the middle of the firefight, which lasted all throughout the night, Thousands of rounds were expelled. There was a family that was spread out between three cars, and they were started to scream, we're peace people, we're peace people. We realized that they were caught in the crossfire. So we shifted fire, and some members of our platoon and our company ran out to get them and bring them back. And so <clears throat> that 
one day changed so much for so many of my friends that I served with. And for, you know, the next five years, we kind of talked about it like most people probably do in vague details, and we talked about the good times, and uh, and that was when we were talking. A lot of the times, we weren't talking at all. But I stayed in the Marine Corps for about four years after that. And finally, when I was out of the Marine Corps in 2007, I really developed a feeling of longing and not belonging. And more so, I felt as though I wanted to harness the power that I saw in, in a company of Marines when they decided to do something for the world. And so I started reaching out online through Facebook. And I happened to be in school for sociology. I was studying social movements and got heavily involved with social media and saw how it was changing things for certain groups. And I thought, wow, this could really change things for us. And so we set up a group and we started building communication. And uh, I'd say at this point, we have about 80% accountability. But this started the dialogue. And we started talking about that day and what happened. One thing led to another, and I started doing more research online. I found a story. I found out the names of the family, and I decided that I was going to try to find them because we have a saying in the Marine Corps that there's no better friend and there's no worse enemy. And so mm. I, know, I know that we have the enemy part down quite well, but I thought that perhaps we could be doing more to help out the Iraqis because that's really why most of us, believed at the time we were there, and those are the real reasons that we're fighting. You know, we were told that there was a country and they needed our help to be protected, and I don't think that ends just because you leave the war. And so I set out on a journey to find them, and through social media and through spreading the story, I found their profile on Facebook, contacted the reporter that wrote the original story, Dexter Filkins, and I told him, look, I think I have a really good ending to your story that you wrote. And see, what his hmm. story did and the way that journalism contributed it was that it told the narrative from the family's point of view, something that we didn't have time to learn about. And so for the longest time, the unit just said things like, why would they drive up to our position? Why are they so stupid? Didn't they realize? And they're doing that to deal with it, you know? Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I think after hearing it from their end and seeing uh, the names of their family members, it, it hit a lot of the guys. And so when I finally went to meet them about two years ago, I went by myself with Dexter, and uh, we sat down and, and we talked, and it was it was very emotional, but it was just that one moment. And since that one moment, I've had, you know, lots of experiences with this family, and they've been nothing but open and inviting and I think that it is still a learning process for all of us involved. But the interesting thing that, that came about during the story, and I think the reason why we're paired today, is that I told Dexter from the beginning, you know, I don't want this to be a story about PTSD. You know, mm-hmm. I, don't, I don't feel like that's why I did this. I, it's not about the nightmares. It's not about one thing or the other. It's about you know, being involved in something bigger than yourself and trying to to show that we're not done taking care of one thing. So let's not move on to another war or another problem. There's still plenty of collateral damage. And so he did an interview with a psychiatrist that I was not informed about and said, oh, he's exhibiting the symptoms of moral injury. And so since the stories came out, I've had an opportunity 
to really get to talk to a lot of the leading clinicians and researchers and and try to see what they're trying to define as moral injury and some of the symptoms and how to get to the solution. And uh, I think that uh, hopefully we can we can move the conversation to how to fix or to how to help out in these situations. That is a very wonderful synopsis of a very long story, as I, I did read the articles that you had sent. And may I ask if finding the, now I might not pronounce this right, is it Cachadorian? Yep, the Cachadorians. Oh, okay, the Cachadorians. Did that give meaning to the terrible firefight in the aftermath that you went through? Um, I, I wanted it to give it meaning. But yes, it was. It's my way of, you know, capitalizing on on the tragedies that that I had to witness and the hard work that I put in in finding the family. But I think more importantly, it allowed me to have control of my story. And so instead of telling people, yeah, on April eighth, two thousand and three, me and my unit we had to shoot babies and we had to shoot women and children, and nobody did it on purpose, and it happens in every war. And we did exactly as we were trained to do, and I stand by it. Now I get mm-hmm. to say all that, and I get to say, and on top of that, we made sure that we reached out to the people that we could. We found the family. I offered them any help I can. They offer me a lot of help. And I think that every veteran deserves a chance to change his narrative. And that might be running with the bulls or starting a mechanic shop. But they need to be able to get their humanity back. Right. Interesting. You also said that it felt a little bit like the the period before you found them, while you were struggling with this, it felt a little bit as though you were excommunicated from a church would be a similar metaphor for what you were talking about. Can you explain that a bit? Definitely. Well, I was going to school for sociology, and I had an opportunity to write a little bit about my experiences. And as I was collecting data... I felt more like I identified with people that were excommunicated from their religion or people mm-hmm. that were, uh, as opposed to regular PTSD or, or even moral injury. And that's because your moral community is, is normally typically defined by your congregation. And, and mm-hmm. so after we went through our traumatic event, I experienced coming home with that moral community, with my congregation. And I did it inside of physical spaces, these sacred social spaces. Camp Pendleton, Camp Porno, my squad bay, my parade deck, my church inside of the Marine Corps. And I realized that we could now form our congregation again online. And we did that. And then I said, well, it's not enough to just be online. Now we need some permanent transitionary housing. And we need a a place that resembles where we were, recreates it in a way that we have this temporary transitional space that is a support mechanism within the community, and it's specific to that unit. Because nobody understands what I went through like my guys, and they need to have access to these places and all the inherent problems with, with delivering all of that. Okay. If everybody can hold that thought, we're just going to take a real short break. I'm Gary Ray, along with my co-host, Linda, and our guest, Lou and uh, Dr. Craig. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter as the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are tuned in to American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to AmericanHeroesNetwork at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with Lou and Dr. Craig and uh, Linda. Well, I would love to hear Craig's um, perspective on Lou's wonderful narrative uh, of what he discussed, uh, of a lot of very compelling details, etc. I think one of the most compelling statements was that by meeting the Kashadorians, you were regaining control of your story. And perhaps, Craig, you can take it from there and discuss what your studies have shown about moral injury and, and, and take it in the direction that you'd like to go. Yeah, well, thanks. I, yeah, I, I think what's really interesting is, you know, Lou's story is so similar to, you know, the stories of so many other uh, service members and veterans. And I think that you know, kind of an everyday, non-clinical, non-technical way of describing moral injury is that sense of losing control over your story. And the recovery process is the process of, you know, regaining mastery um, over one's narrative and one's uh, sense of control in life. Um, And this is, you know, what we see not only with the the clinical work that we do, but in our research that many veterans often feel like they have lost something about themselves because of these experiences, Um, especially when, as Lou mentioned, uh, sometimes, you know, bad things happen. Um, Even when you do everything right, sometimes bad things happen anyway, and these bad things might violate our sense of how the world is supposed to work, especially if we, you know, many of us, ascribed to what we call the just world hypothesis. You know, good things happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. And so when bad things happen to good people, it can really shake us at our core and cause us to question um, the the point in life 
uh, sort of what is our purpose and what is our meaning. And a lot of the recovery then becomes reestablishing that. And I think one of the other really important things that Lou gets at is I'm really captivated by his use of the term feeling excommunicated from a church because I think that speaks to the importance of the military culture and the bonds that are formed uh, within the adversity of combat. Um, and it's, I think, really hard for a lot of people to understand how important that sense of belonging and that connectedness with other service members can be. And many veterans, when they transition out of the military and become civilians, so to speak, uh, we have found that this is when oftentimes a lot of struggle can occur because they feel like they don't have that sense of people who understand who I am, people who understand what I've been through. And if you spend sort of more and more time locked within your own head thinking about these things, these bad things that happen to good people, and there aren't all that many people around who really understand and can share that burden with you, um, we can start to see a lot of difficulties uh, emerge as a result. You know, it's interesting when you talked about the longing and not belonging, and then that you built up almost 80% of your group again online. You were building your own peer network, which has really been widespread in, in terms of helping people. But it seems as though you really did this as a unit and without any other outside group. So you all were very, very motivated to collectively put this in some framework. Does that make sense? And, and Craig, how would you describe that clinically? Or Lou, I, I'm not sure who to direct that question to. Well, I'd like to actually jump in, if I could, because you mm-hmm. brought up something that, that while listening really jumped out at me, which is that I want to be specific about my hypothesis. And when I say that veterans are being excommunicated and they need to be back in that military community, I'm talking about unit-specific aid. I'm talking mm-hmm. about not trying to fix veterans individually. I'm talking about not convincing veterans that they have lost something inside of themselves, but they have actually lost out on a structure that should be within the community. It is not something they're lacking. It is something that the community and the environment is lacking. And they need to be connected with veterans from their traumatic event, veterans from their company from their platoon, from their squad. And you're going to see a lot of that happening organically now that we have such a widespread social network such as Facebook. And you do, in fact, see it happening. And what we need now is we need people that are willing to donate to veterans to get back to their companies. So if you have a base or a headquarters or a a large demographic of your unit in a certain area, you need to go have a reunion every year with those guys. There needs to be resources to fund it. We just threw a 10-year reunion. We could only raise $1,500. It cost us, you know, $35,000. It was ridiculous. <clears throat> but I'll tell you what, it did more for veterans' mental health in that day than, I, than I've done in the last 10 years of advocating to try to help out veterans. It's that connection, hmm. not with just a general veteran. It's someone from your unit. We can track them down. We can find them. We can put them together. And people are doing this right now, and they're doing great work. Yeah, and I, I would actually agree quite a bit with Lou. I, I think, um, 
you know, one of the first things that he said, you know, a lot of, I think, what we do in our society is we kind of take a one-on-one approach. And I, I think the mental health community um, is, is kind of one of the weaknesses of the mental health uh, community. And I say that as a psychologist myself, kind of uh, criticizing my own profession. Um, but I think within our society, we we do kind of you know, we we have, in essence, collectively um, agreed to place our men and women in situations like this, and then when they return home, um, having certain types of experiences that aren't necessarily familiar to the rest of society, we then say, well, there's something wrong with you, and you need to go get that fixed, and so you should do that. Um, but there is not as much of a collective or group uh, kind of responsibility for this, and there is is a, a considerable amount of power in service members and veterans sitting down together um, and kind of reconnecting on their shared experiences. And uh, there is a, a very dramatic uh, power to being able to um, share burdens together with the other people who were there with you. Was it difficult to locate everyone? Because you, uh, it's hard sometimes. People scatter, they disappear, they go underground, they hide, or they are just, you know, transient in some way. Was it difficult to pull together your unit? Because I, what I'm hearing you say is it's not enough just to be around other veterans. It's better to be around those who actually experienced the same trauma as you did. It is. It was very hard. And when it first happened and when it first started and it grew somewhat slowly, it was just me adding everyone, seeking them out. Facebook was just getting popular. And it grew in spurts. And as I said, there was no one in the beginning who kind of laid out a rule or said, this is how it is. And we've grown on the site as a veteran unit. And how do we operate in peacetime? Because people had ranks when we were in. You know, and they still want to feel as though they're the sergeant major. And they still want to, you know, some of them want to be called sir. And it annoys other people if they're not. But what you would see in this group, if you looked over our last 10 years, is a lot of resource sharing, a lot of uh, peer counseling, and and a lot of support. It didn't cost us anything more than a couple minutes a day on the computer. But it's not enough. We also need to back that up with going and finding the veterans that we can't find. Because like you said, some of them aren't connected. Whether Mm -hmm. it's their choice or their circumstance, we can't find them. But someone should be, because they're the ones that are more likely to commit suicide. And who's going to care more about finding Lance Corporal Hatch in Las Vegas than the guys that served with him? I'll go find them. Give me the resources. I'll bring them home. I'll bring them back to our unit. That's an excellent point, because people do tend to disappear if they don't find what they need when they first get home and you were in the early part of the war it 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 was not as acknowledged that people needed to be together it was move on move out Um, so what you're discussing is is a very specific part of peer counseling that addresses this at a very personal level and when you found people were most of them glad to be found most of them and, and a lot of them are just lurkers. So they get on the site and they watch us talk, but they're still getting support. And some of mm-hmm. them reach out and say, I want to kill myself today. 
or mm-hmm. I want to go crazy and kill everyone else out there. And how do you guys deal with this? And our site is totally private. No one can see it. And no one can judge you on there. No one says, oh, you think Obamacare is good? You know, you're a socialist. So you think that, that guns are bad? Oh, you're a liberal. Because we're all warriors. There is none of this <laughs> political game playing who's American. Everyone there right. has, has done their duty. And we have real discussions. It's amazing. I, I wish that every unit uh, could, could embrace the technology and that they could be told about it and that they could see each other once or twice a year and that they have a home base. And there's other cultures where that's what their veterans do. They have clubhouses. And it's not just for general veterans. It's for a specific unit. Craig, have you heard of this happening on a larger scale? Because this is truly the first time I have heard about this as such a devoted effort. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, uh, um, and, you know, within the past few months, I I think the role of social media um, as a connecting force amongst veterans is being, I think, addressed and is is being recognized more and more as a very important tool, uh, you know, from a mental health perspective. And, and, you know, the work that I've been most closely involved with is uh, with suicide prevention and the role that social media can play. Um, as, as actually kind of Lou alluded to there, if someone's posting something high risk or indicating suicidal thoughts, you know, there can be an immediate response and there are more and more situations uh, that I certainly am aware of personally where someone expresses distress online and almost immediately there is an activation of the social network almost always that social network that is most active in helping someone else are the other members of the unit, without a doubt. Well, we're going to take another short break. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda and our guests, Dr. Craig and Lou. We're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. The American Heroes Network team depends entirely on voluntary financial support, advertisers, and sponsorships to keep the voice of our veterans alive and bring awareness, education, excitement, and most importantly, hope to the gray reality that exists for the hundreds of thousands of troops that are home and coming home. You can now become part of the elite team and help support our veterans. Your support is needed more than ever before. Become part of the Silent Heroes support team today. The Silent Heroes support team levels start as low as $26 per year. That's only 50 cents a week. Go right now to AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and join today. That's AmericanHeroesNetwork.com. Thank you for your support. Streaming live. 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with Dr. Craig and Lou. Lou, before we get back to some questions here, why don't you give our listeners your website address? Right now, you can go to findingthecatchadorians.org. That's finding the Catchadorians is spelled K A C H A D O O R I A N S dot org. Or more simply, you can just Google me and you'll be able to reach out. All right. Linda? And by the way, that's Lou Labello. Um, yes, I have a question for you. This discussion of, of peers and unit cohesion and the help that gives, how do we raise group and, more importantly, unit awareness among the population in terms of a treatment modality? Yeah, well, um, I, I think from my perspective, this is something actually that I've been thinking about quite a bit over the past few years, and it was um, influenced while I was still in the military and specifically while I was deployed to Iraq, where... You know, as a psychologist, the the traditional approach is, you know, one-on-one individual therapy, uh, but that's not really how sort of the culture of the military works. Uh, you know, the, the military really is more of a collectivist sort of group, you know, centered organization where the group's, you know, well-being is prioritized over the individual. And so we started to change the way we talked about mental health and uh, presented mental health concepts to um, other service members, especially combat arms professionals, um, where, for instance, we uh, stopped asking them to come to the mental health clinic because we knew they didn't want to come. And in most cases, they didn't have a mental health problem. They just had everyday life problems, you know, just stressors in life and those don't necessarily mean you have a clinical disorder. And so instead of having a person come to a mental health clinic, we had the psychologist, we went to them, and we would spend time with them in battle drills, on the firing range, on their compound, um, just talking. And we really capitalized upon unit cohesion and teamwork so that we, you know, we know that support, unit support is a great predictor of mental health and military personnel. And we really fostered that and changed the way that we talked about mental health and did mental health so that it now became a more acceptable and familiar concept to the people we were trying to help to begin with. Yeah. You know, you made that statement and it sounds so logical, but about, and I'm going to repeat it, unit support is a strong predictor of mental health. And yet it's rare that the VA is doing work that is unit specific or group specific. There are group uh, therapies, certainly, but very seldom is there unit specific support. Is that going to be something that you see coming to the fore in the future? 
Well, I do know that a lot of us are talking about it more and more because, you know, some of these, when we try out unit-level interventions, uh, we get rave reviews. Uh, People like them. Um, And it's sort of, you know, people are actually staying and listening because it it's no longer this mystical kind of voodoo type of thing, which is often, you know, at least sometimes that's a perception of mental health. You know, the challenge is that the mental health care system as a whole, whether the VA, the DOD, or just even in the private sector, is not geared with that mindset. When you go to graduate school or medical school um, to receive a mental health degree, you are not necessarily trained to think in terms of unit-level or group-level interventions. Almost all of us are trained in individual psychotherapy or individual medication management. Um, Group therapy sometimes, uh, but even then that's not an organizational level. It's just kind of a mixture of whomever has a common problem in a common objective-oriented social group. Interesting. Lou, how would you respond to the, growing the awareness of this unit support and cohesion? Well, first, I would argue that it is, in fact, happening already organically. I'm not <clears throat> within my organization, and, and if we want to talk in military terms, let's say my, my division, right? So I'm the 4th Marine Division. We're the reserves, okay, which lends an easier model to understand mm-hmm. And within them, you have your battalions and your companies. And so <clears throat> we were Fox Company. And actually, half of us are in Utah. We're the sinners and the saints, half from Utah, half from Vegas. And so, <laughs> and, then, and then as I was online, I found Echo Company. But they were the same battalion as me. And so now we transfer services. So it is happening. And what you see happening now is as more and more of the active duty guys are already on these social networks. They're mm-hmm. forming before they leave. It's already being initiated at that level. And so now I can see my old unit. I see their active duty page or their active duty group. I'll say that the DOD was slow in administering these Facebook group sites, for instance, because I was the first one who set up the 223 page, 2nd Battalion, 23rd Marines. The first one to set up the big group. So I'm ahead of the DOD. I'm, a, I'm ahead of the VA. And mm-hmm. it, and as we'll talk about more next segment, but the idea that there is GPS utilities such as POSREP, we're going to see it happen organically. I think what needs to happen on paper, though, is that units need to be incorporated, whether, whether as they're their own nonprofit or they're private or whatever, but they need to organize. You need leaders within the units, and they need to have resources to say, I'm going to do this for our unit. And, and we see that a little bit in the Marine Corps League, but that's a little older and a little a little outdated, although I'm sure I'll get in trouble for saying that. No, you won't. It's reality. Yeah. Very interesting. Craig? Yeah, I, I think so. And, I, I, and the organic nature of it that Lou talks about is, I think, a, a reflection of, uh, like you said, kind of the, the slow... Uh, movement. And I think, again, because our society and kind of the, the culture of mental health has not necessarily been oriented in this way, these service members and veterans are kind of filling in the gaps. They're, they're seeing, of course, that well, they're feeling the need. They're not just seeing the need, they're feeling the need. And so it's sort of like a grassroots 
effort there filling it in now because um, it isn't necessarily been formalized within the system, uh, so to speak. And it, it ends up being, um, and I think it, because when it happens organically, you also tend to see it function in very different ways. Um, you know, we see some of these kind of naturally developing support networks tend to be more agile and more able to respond more quickly uh, to individuals in need because they tend to have closer relationships um, and also because they don't have a bureaucracy that they have to try to drag along with them. If somebody needs something, you just give it to them. You don't have to file, you know, paperwork and get approvals and find the money for it, et cetera. Someone just steps forward and says, I'll be the one who takes responsibility for this. So they end up being playing a very, very central role in supporting each other. Well, and and as you say, grassroots outreach, they own it. So they they take it and they make it move and they, they, they don't give up. They persist with it. It really does make very strong sense. And Lou, you see this happening among the Marine Corps. Is it happening outside the Marine Corps that you're aware of? Uh, you know, I'm insulated. <laughs> yeah, I'm a. You're a marine. I, I know. <laughs> I'm a marine. You know, I'm part of the marine mafia, and and it's just, it's just that my social network at this time, as far as groups are concerned, I only really see the groups uh, within within the Marine Corps. But those are the ones that I'm more interested in. I I have to assume that it's taking place all over, though, as we speak. And I think that to add a little bit, you know, it's not. It's not just psychologists that should be looked towards. I think that really sociologists have have a key to some of the veterans' uh, culturation process or, or the veterans' transitionary process. And I'd like to see a university step up. I'd like to see a sociological department, hopefully, hopefully at UNLV, kind of step up and say, we understand group behavior. We understand how groups interact, and, and here's what we think would help the veterans, and that they should be providing the white papers for that, and they should be helping us with this thesis. It's a a group problem. It's not an individual. I would agree, and I'm going to throw a little curve in here. Family members, are they included in any way among this? Um, Because certainly messages can be reinforced at home if there's a greater understanding, or is there a separate group? that would be suggested for family members? Because I know there's a lot of confusion and not a lot of communication sometimes among vets and their families, and and there can be family fracture because of it. How do you see families, or don't you see families, becoming part of the transition? Well, I I think, uh, you know, Yes, families play an important role. They often play, uh, you know, from my perspective, a somewhat different role from mm-hmm. um, the other uh, service members. And, you know, and kind of, I guess, the, the way to capture, in my mind, sort of how important uh, families can play. There was a, an interesting study published by a colleague of mine who uh, who actually studied uh, married couples in the military. And um, kind of the, the moral of the story that he found was, you know, perceptions matter. And what he found specifically was that when service members returned from deployment um, and they were assessed for, you know, distress or, you know, anxiety, depression, whatever it might be, uh, 
what this researcher did is he also surveyed the spouses and looked at how distressed they were and also asked questions about sort of like what each member of the marriage thought about what the other person had been doing while they were gone. And Mm -hmm. what he found was that a spouse's perceptions of their veteran's combat exposure uh, played a dramatic effect on how emotionally distressed the service member was. And uh, specifically, in essence, what he found was that if if a veteran is stress that they're having some struggles, but their spouse, in essence, believes you didn't really do all that much, you didn't see that much combat, that was actually associated with worse stress. And so mm-hmm. the, the the service member, in essence, was doing worse because kind of the explanation was the spouse was not being very validating and supportive and was kind of minimizing their experience. Um, and the reverse was true. When a spouse said, I do think that what you did was really intense and stressful, and you did see a lot of bad stuff, well, they found that was a very protective effect, and the service member had less emotional distress. Um, and so because that spouse is, of course, at home uh, with the service member and is a major part of their social uh, support system, they do have a very important role, although it might be different than what you know, other unit members uh, might play in terms of overall health and well-being. Oh, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Okay, we're going to jump to our quick break here. I'm Gary Ray, along with Linda Crater, and our guest, Lou Labello and Dr. Craig Bryant. You're listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and we'll be right back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. For those corporations or organizations who wish to support our veterans, sponsoring and promotion on the American Heroes Network has never been easier or smarter. As the only network focused to specifically reach the military and veteran population globally. For more information, email us at sponsorinfo at americanheroesnetwork.com. By providing a unique blend of information and advocacy, we are helping our American heroes and their families to heal, successfully transition into civilian life, and to thrive in their communities. This generation will not be forgotten. Today's military are our sons and daughters. Listen live to the American Heroes Network, the worldwide voice for our military families and veterans, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. All shows are archived on American Heroes network.com and syndicated on iTunes. Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. Voiceamerica.com. You are tuned into American Heroes Network. If you want to find out more about us or to contact us with questions or comments about the show, please send an email to American Heroes Network at gmail.com. That's American Heroes Network at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back. We're here with our guests, Lou and Dr. Craig. And uh, Linda had a question about social media. Is that correct? Yes, I, I do. I, I believe there's some new manner of social media that is available these days that could possibly assist in this pulling together of the unit. Would you like to address that, Lou? I'd love to. We talked about uh, a lot of feelings of separation. We talked a lot about veteran suicide, moral injury, PTSD. 
And I'd like to take a second to talk about POSREP. That's P-O-S-R-E-P dot com. They've mm-hmm. labeled it the social network for the 0.5%, just for us vets. And what right. it allows you to do is see if there's any other veterans in your area on your map, just like you would see if there's a taco shop nearby. And getting back to that unit, unit specificity, when you see someone in your area, you know if they were in the Army, Marines, what unit they were in, when they were in. They have a verification process to, uh, to make sure that they, they are only allowing veterans on. They're in mm-hmm. their beta stage. And they also allow veterans to quickly access any type of DSOs around, any type of services. So as soon as you turn it on and it shows you, it'll give you a list. Here's the VA. You click that, directions to here, you're there immediately. It also allows you to subcategorize, like we were saying. So I can have my group, Sinners and Saints, Fox 223, on a squad page. And although it's, it's just coming out right now, I have a mm-hmm. strong feeling that it's, it's going to take over the veteran community, and I can't wait. I, it's being very positively received, that's for certain. And you will continue, I presume, on Facebook? I will continue on my Facebook endeavor, and I'll continue to try to get funding so I can pull in the remaining members of my company that I can't get a hold of. Interesting. Craig? Yeah, it's uh, fantastic uh, what you know, technology can do nowadays. It, it actually makes me wonder, you know, I think of uh, my uncle who served in uh, Korea, you know, how the heck did they find each other, <laughs> you know, after mm-hmm. 10, 20, 30 years or even now? And, uh, I mean, it's just so much easier with social media. And um, I think... You know, one of one of the cool things about this is because there is sort of that that sense of community um, and feeling connected with others, um, whether they're in your unit or even if they're not. I mean, I think of the kind of small team that we have here at the university, all working together in our research lab. Most of us are veterans, and um, we were joking around earlier this week that it feels like we're in the military again when we're all together because we can share war stories. We we know the coded language and what all the abbreviations and the letters mean, and we can talk that way with each other and feel normal um, and not feel like we are uh, kind of outcast or somehow different from everybody else. And I think that is an absolutely essential part of mental health and well-being. Well, you're right. It's, it's about fulfilling the longing and belonging as opposed to not feeling like you belong. And being around your, your group has got to lend some strong support and foundation. And, Lou, I know you can speak to that. I can. It's, it's definitely changed my life. I don't think I would have gotten to where I am today if I wouldn't have been able to reconnect with so many guys that I experienced you know, my war with. It's changed my life. I wouldn't change it for a thing. Yeah, and I don't. Uh, I think that a lot of uh, veterans would actually share that sentiment. And you know, the the challenge is, of course, and, and maybe you've experienced this. Lou, I know I have. Trying to convince some of your uh, old friends or colleagues or peers sometimes to get uh, connected again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's hard. They need the most help, and they 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 for whatever reason feel as though either it's not secure or it's not them. Or they don't have the technology, but I know if they just tried it, it would change their life. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it's, you know, and I, I often say it's not the guys who go to mental health I worry about. It's the guys who need it but they don't, don't go. go, who they're hidden. They, we can't that's find them. Exactly. And they're somewhere out there. And uh, that's, you know, when you look at something like pause rep, it's sort of like trying to find that needle in the haystack. And maybe this is a way that we can start finding those veterans who are hidden you know, from the rest of us, um, because especially those who are out of the military now, you know, it's, it's, you know, you don't wear the uniform on a daily basis, so it's not easy to necessarily just, it, it's like it, it doesn't stand out and you can't just necessarily point at somebody and say, I know that person is a veteran. And I think this is especially an issue with female veterans. Uh, and I think female veterans struggle from this uh, in particular sort of feeling like their identity has been lost once they get out of the military. And people don't necessarily recognize uh, female veterans as quickly and readily as they do male veterans. Right. Not as many tattoos. Right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah the, and the haircut, that's the other thing, is uh, the, they don't have the telltale haircut for several years afterwards. <laughs> and I presume you don't call them jarheads? <laughs> Of course, if you're a Marine, you're a jarhead. It doesn't matter. Yeah. Yes, sir. <laughs> I don't know if I'm allowed to say that word or not since I wasn't a Marine. <laughs> no, that's I said it for you, Craig. It's okay. All right. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, well I think, yeah. um, you know, so some of what Lou is doing is really cool, and I hope that a lot more people do it because, I, I you know, to the veterans out there who are sort of – isolated from others, I think it's really important to recognize that there are others who, you know, share the things that you've seen, the things that you've experienced, even if it's not bad stuff. I mean, I, I mean, if you really think about it, when veterans get together, they usually talk about silly stories, the dumb things that we did together, and it's usually a very positive experience. And I think the misconception is that we just sit around and, you know, wallow in our agony, um, but that's not how it really is. And my hope is that others out there who do feel isolated know that you can get connected with others and reflect upon the good times and share in the good things that have happened to you and your experiences. Yeah. I think it's excellent. I mean, peer support, especially if it's unit-based and is even closer than just general peers, has got to help people feel like they've got that cohesion again and a support group and people who who care about them on a very different level than any other group that they are surrounded by. And I think the caregivers would benefit as well. And they would probably, I would say, develop their own social network around around these veterans that are conglomerating because then they have something in common with the other uh caregiver because perhaps they're dealing with a certain type of tra- uh, trauma that the whole group has experienced. I think that it would it would really allow them more geographic support as well. You know, hey, where can I go to the base to figure this out? And they're talking about their base, you know, in their town. No, no, you're exactly right. I mean, right now it's online and it's they're trying at the VA to to sort of endeavor to do that for caregivers, but it's such a diverse group of people. And their needs, they're not very, they can't be as flexible based on their roles. But you're absolutely right. That's why I mentioned caregivers and families, because they, they really are kind of the quiet, silent group behind those who have been seriously injured. And um, 
they carry their own stresses, and that is correct, that retreats and, and peers and groups locally do help them. You're absolutely right. right. Well, we only have about a minute or two left. And gentlemen, we want to thank you for being on our show today. Okay. Thank you for having me. And Lou, what would you like to share with our listeners in closing? I'd like to talk to all the Marines out there and all the veterans. And I'd like to say that you're not broken and you're not wounded. You might be alone, but you never know how close a veteran actually is. And you got to take that one act of courage to reach out. And your brother or your sister is not going to let you down. That's right. Craig? Yeah, I would echo what Lou says. I, I think that we have strength in numbers. Um, and... You know, coming together as a group is where we will recapture our strength and where we really will sort of live up to, you know, our greatest potential. All right. Linda? I always come back to the old motto of no one left behind. And I hope that you find every one of those people in your unit, Lou. And I hope that others who do the same thing do find those who are silent and quiet and and seeking and maybe not feeling like they belong because it's an excellent way to reconnect and um, find strength again. So thank you for sharing these stories. And, and Craig, thank you for adding the light of the research onto these stories as well. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Today's show was brought to you by First Class Merchant Services and, and uh, Brave Marketing Concepts. And again, all our shows are actually archived on demand on the AmericanHeroesNetwork.com and syndicated on iTunes. American Heroes Network spotlights and promotes the best available information of interest to America's veterans and their families anytime, anywhere, and on any device. I'm Gary Ray along with my co-host Linda Crater. Signing off, and thanks for listening to the American Heroes Network, powered by Voice America on the Variety Channel, and have a great week. Thank you again for joining us for this week's edition of American Heroes Network. Please join Gary Ray and his co-host Linda Crater and other prestigious co-hosts again next Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a great week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network its staff, and management.